When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome back into Purple Daily, hour number two. Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad here. The Minnesota Vikings continue to practice. It is their second day in pads. If you have missed any of our coverage, make sure you go to scorenorth.com. You can also download the show wherever you get your podcasts. So the iTunes, the Spotify, I'm sure there's many, many others. But it is a free and wonderful show that we bring you Monday through Friday. So anyway, uh Mike Zimmer, Judd, something happened on Sunday that I wanted to run by your take on a Mike Zimmer comment about the young wide receivers. Zimmer at the podium comes in and he's asked, oh, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of that guy? And he kind of stops and says, look, they all can't line up right. They all can't run their routes right. They all can't catch the ball. And if they don't stop, we're going to find somebody else. Or if they don't get their rear ends in gear was exactly what uh, the comment was. And, of course, he's not referring to Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs. He means your Dylan Mitchell, your B.C. Johnson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that he has not been happy what he's seen from the young wide receivers. Now, I tend to agree that I have been less than impressed from what we've seen so far by any of the young wide receivers. Diggs and Thielen look fantastic as always. Uh, Irv Smith looks like he moves pretty well, but I haven't gotten a great sense for what he can do yet. But what came to mind for me, Judd, is I wanted to watch Zimmer close in camp to see his demeanor, to get an idea of whether he's feeling the tension or... Um, if he's going to be snapping at us in, you know, every time we have a press conference with him, or if he's going to be kind of the same guy that he's been over the last few years. And I would say a comment like that, you might normally attribute to someone being on edge, but it didn't strike me, having been around Zimmer for so long now, as him being on edge. It took, I took it much more as you know, Zimmer's kind of in his element right now, and, that, and that's how it's felt early in camp, as he's kind of been the same Mike Zimmer. So... I think in this sense, reading Mike is pretty simple. When Mike is mad and frustrated and on edge to a point of feeling like he's lost control of things, that's when he goes after us because he's just in a bad mood. I feel like when Mike rips his players or coaches uh, to us, that's when Mike feels that he has control still. So I think early Mike, including going back to Friday, just 
unprompted takes a shot at flip again. Offensive line, yeah, I don't think we're going to be in shotgun a bunch this year. I mean, that was completely unnecessary. But that's not Mike being in a bad mood. That's Mike being Mike. I honestly think that everything that this team did from coaching staff uh, changes standpoints. Kubiak, bring in uh, Nate Kading as your kicking consultant. I really do believe that it's freed Mike up to focus on things that Mike likes. And so Mike's always going to be ornery, and he's always going to come off maybe as being in slightly a bad mood. But I think right now, he's very happy. It does seem (laughs) seems weird to say, but I think he's very happy. And, And you know what it reminds me of, Judd? You've brought up this point before, and I think we've seen it come to fruition. And I'm not saying that I felt last year he was on edge necessarily, but there was this cloud over everything last year of the 2017 disappointment, the bad taste in the mouth, the questions about Super Bowl or bust, the questions about, hey, do you watch back the game against Philadelphia and, and all that sort of stuff. It was still hanging over this team, and then you have that extra media presence. The NFL Network gets right out there. The ESPN gets right out there to interview everyone, and everybody's being asked, oh, is this a Super Bowl team? Is this a Super Bowl team? And there's no way once that train gets a moving to slow it down, right. you can go to as many podiums as you want, but you're never going to be able to say, hey, can you guys not ask us about Super Bowl or bust? I th- Kirk got tired of it, I think, in the third preseason game being asked about you know, the Super Bowl last year. And so maybe there was a little more tension just because of that and because of where they had come from and the expectations that were set. But you've said before that sometimes when Zimmer can play this sort of they-don't-believe-in-us type of card, that he's more comfortable in that type of role uh, and, and, and presenting that type of message to his team is, oh, everybody's knocking us down below this team or that team, and they don't believe in us and everything else. That, that maybe he does feel a little bit more comfortable and then combine that with the fact that Gary Kubiak is here and there's way less stress of wondering if someone like John Filippo knows how to do their job, wondering if John Filippo could call plays properly as opposed to Gary Kubiak having such a long record of having done it. Yeah, and Mike does not, and I, I think the up-and-down nature of this team since he took over shows it, there's clearly a form of pressure Mike does not like. Like, they don't thrive that way. They they thrive on, woe is us, you don't believe, you don't believe, and so, you know, our starting quarterback gets hurt, and now we got to play Case Keenum? Well, we'll show you, right? Um, but I think that Mike loves, and it, this goes back to his decision when he came here to hire Norv as his OC, which at the time we were all like, that's really weird. You're finally getting your chance, and you are going to bring in a guy with head coaching experience? That seems odd. But I think that doesn't threaten Mike. I really think Mike loves to have veteran football people around who he can sit down with, have a glass of wine with, and talk about 1986 and 1996, right? Now, now what that does not assure is it does not assure that that won't go sideways. But there is no question in my mind that Mike Zimmer feels as comfortable as he can be when, when he is in his element, and that is being surrounded by football people, talking football. And if I'm some young, hot shot offensive mind who comes in, guess what? Mike's like, I don't identify with you. Yeah, that could have been part of the issue from last year because I would say early on in training camp, we had a pretty good sense that the offense was not going to make it or that it wasn't going to be one of the dominant offenses in the NFL. And even though they came out pretty blazing hot at the beginning, 
you have to remember that everyone did in the entire NFL, that they were changing rules around and it just seemed like records were being set for touchdowns each week. And then as things settled in and uh, defenses started to adapt, Mike Zimmer adapted himself in the second half of the season. Then we saw those shootout games start to reduce Mm -hmm. to every once in a while as opposed to each week. And we saw Kirk Cousins' numbers go down and him struggle quite a bit more. We saw people sometimes throw Kirk Cousins to the ground and not get penalized for it in the second half of the season. So rule changes on the fly that often happen in the NFL to readjust those types of things. But the point just being that, um, you know, through, through last year, they had to make adjustments and Zimmer had to make adjustments and he was able to do that. But I don't think he was ever able to really connect and, and get his message across to John D. Filippo. Right. And, and, and that connection, I think, is through Gary Kubiak. That if there's a problem with Kevin Stefanski, it's going to be Kubiak and Zimmer who are having that meeting about what the problem is to go to Kevin Stefanski. But what, what keeps coming to mind for me, Judd, throughout camp is kind of we've talked about Zimmer and what happens if they lose. I think we all know what happens if they win, not necessarily the Super Bowl, but if you go 12-4 and and you win a playoff game and you end up in the NFC Championship game, Zimmer is probably the coach for the foreseeable future. It would take a lot for him to not be the head coach. So there's a wide gap between what can happen with, with his future. But, but what, else, what else are we missing here with Zimmer? Because he's a really interesting character in all of this, in, in the fact that they've literally had to put bodies between him and offensive people, bodies between him and kickers. Which and, should have been done from day one. It definitely should have. And, and yet, we still are talking about, over the past five years, somebody who took this organization from one of its lowest points in its history yep. to being a team that every year has a lot of attention around it and is talked about as one of the premier teams in the league. So what am I, what am I missing, I guess, in terms of a conversation about Mike Zimmer? Okay, so here's what interests me about Mike the most. Because to say that... To say that Mike is um, Mike likes comfort is accurate, but that is to sell him short as far as what he can adjust to because he can adjust defensively. He's masterful. Four games in last year, Collar. Think about it. This defense looked sort of lost, and we and we ran the stats and we're like, this is uh, starting with the second half of the Saints game in the playoffs, Eagles game for six games of what happened, and then guess what? He gradually adjusted, changed things. And they were probably uh, subtle and uh, small tweaks, but they worked. But there are areas, offense, um, special teams, where he just has confidence that those those units are going to do what he thinks they should do without him having to come into that room. I think a ton and say, "Do this, do this." Here's but okay. Here's the most interesting thing to me as we have this conversation, potentially about 2019. It's the end of I think if Kirk Cousins does not play extremely well. 2019 is the end of Mike Zimmer pulling his punches and protecting his quarterback, which, by the way, one of the reasons I'm convinced that Mike uh, dumped on DeFilippo so much in 2018 was because he knew that they were paying Cousins. I think he's probably been told Kirk's pretty sensitive, right? But, Matthew, think about this. If this comes out and starts again and goes sideways, does not go well, a Buffalo game where Kirk Cousins Mm -hmm. is flat-out fumbling, uh, I don't think Mike is going to go to the, well, this one's on Gary Well. I think you could very well see Mike do uh, to Kirk what he did to Case, not because it's even a good idea, but because I think he'd be at the end of his rope and couldn't help himself. And, and from a locker room standpoint, 
it's probably frustrating that players spent all offseason hearing about how it was their fault and not his. And that's not from Kirk Cousins. That was during the season that they heard it from Kirk Cousins in some different ways, whether it's the Rams game that, oh, I dropped back to the right place where I was supposed to drop back and the rest isn't on me, or, or you know, uh, Rudolph is supposed to block that guy and I threw it where it was supposed to be, so that's not on me. So they heard that all last year. But if you just are on the internet and you read the articles that people write about the Vikings offense and what happened in 2018, there are YouTubers who do video breakdowns and all these things and a pretty consistent theme. Now, there's some people who are very good at this, who have a more balanced conversation like we do about, okay, here's Kirk's shortcomings, why the offensive line made it worse, but here's where he could have overcome it and so forth. But a lot of times you'll find that these videos ultimately just blame everybody else. That like, oh, their offense wasn't right for him and the left tackle didn't do his job and the guard didn't do his job and Kirk had no chance and all these sorts of things. And I mean, we don't believe that. The owner doesn't believe that. The GM doesn't believe that. The coach doesn't believe that. He had no chance to get them in the playoffs last year. He definitely did. Mm-hmm. So the connection between the quarterback and the coach and the locker room of if Mike Zimmer goes up to the podium and says, no, Kirk did a great job today after going 16 for 24 with five yards and attempt and a bunch of sacks, and he says, well, no, no, Kirk, Kirk did his job. It was something else. I mean, it didn't work throwing the offensive line under the bus in Philadelphia in 2016. That hurt him quite a bit. Uh, it didn't really help him when he threw Anthony Barr under the bus. I don't think it helped him at all criticizing John Filippo publicly because uh, you know he, I think, was frustrated by that. And, and who wouldn't be if your coach isn't even protecting you and rather just instead airing the dirty laundry? So now if he has one of those Kirk games that doesn't go well and they lose and they are disappointing against, let's say, the Raiders or something, and he comes out and says, no, 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 Kirk was fine. Well, A, who is he going to go after? Because it's very hard for Zimmer to not just say anything. Right. So who's he going to kind of pin it on? And then also, if he doesn't, how's that going to go over? I mean, if all these guys throughout their years with Zimmer, they all know him so well, if they all end up getting at one time or another a little jab thrown their way, and then the quarterback becomes invincible to that, I mean, doesn't that make the locker room be like, oh, okay, I see, the $84 million guy, he could play the worst game in the world, and he's never going to get criticized by Zimmer? And I feel like there's a potential for friction there. If he doesn't do it, but I think he will. And I I would would love to talk to him now, and, and he wouldn't tell you, but just out of curiosity, there had to be times last year where he where Mike was at his boiling point, right? Because, I mean, Kirk had some games. And, and again, he he's being paid... $28 million a year to get you to a Super Bowl, and that's and the statistics are great. That's fine. But we saw, for, for those of us who watched every game, we saw instances where he didn't come close, and Case Keenum certainly in 2017 had better games than that, and Mike was upset about those games. I also think that Mike is like a crockpot, and at some point in time, it's he's going to boil, and there's no way that he's going to go up to that. If his defense plays a great game, and Kirk fumbles three times, and, you know, Dillon's downfield waving his arms again. I don't think there's any way in 2019 with his job potentially in jeopardy that Mike's going to go up to that podium and say, "Well, Thielen has to do more and so does Diggs." I think we're going to I think we're going to get the the unvarnished truth at some point in time here, assuming Cousins struggles. But this is and, and th- this goes back to 
what you've talked about now for probably two or three weeks going into camp, Matthew, this also goes to the amount of pressure that exists in this building. So it, in Egan, the pressure is enormous. And, and you know what? The national media can back off completely. Uh, people can be like, ah, you're not going to be nearly as good as we thought that you were a year ago because you didn't achieve the success that people expected. But that doesn't mean between, you know, Spielman, Zimmer, Cousins, that, that group, their jobs are all intertwined right now, wrapped together. And so that's why I don't think if it goes sideways again, I don't think that Mike's going to be able to hold his tongue nearly as well this time as he was last time. And and one thing you said, you know, assuming Cousins struggles, and I, I think that there's the potential to be much better offensively, but you're still going to have those games that come about. I mean, Kyle Rudolph even said it to us. He said every year we seem to have that one game where we just no-show and everything goes wrong. I mean, he said it, right? So, and he's not wrong about that, that it, it does happen. And I don't uh, want to hear that from a leader, though, I, man, not publicly. Yeah, well, I don't either, but he's... <laughs> I mean, it's... But, credit to him for being but, honest. But, but, it's, but it's not untrue. So you know that there will be bumps in the road. Even if you go 12-4, and four, there are bumps in the road. When they went 13-3, and three, there were bumps yeah, in the road early on season. the season. So how are they going to handle those? How is Zimmer going to handle those with, in relation to the quarterback is very interesting because he protected him really well last year. I thought I thought Zimmer did a great job of deflecting the questions about Z, about Cousins. Never seen him do do that for a player. No, I was actually Never seen him. kind of surprised uh, at different times when maybe Cousins didn't didn't play his best. Now let me ask you another part uh, of the Zimmer conversation that's interesting to me is when I think about certain coaches who had a good amount of success but never quite got there. Two names that come to my head quickly are Wade Phillips and Marty Schottenheimer. So Schottenheimer's like the all-time example that everyone uses, but you know Wade Phillips was in Buffalo and they were good in the playoffs. He was in um Dallas and they were good in the playoffs. Defensive guy as well. And what's interesting about those two is they have very different kind of legacies and explanations for why things didn't go well. Schottenheimer would ride his players so hard that people felt like at the end they had nothing left. And with Wade Phillips, there was this, does he really have control over a team? He's in Dallas. He's in the, the epicenter of the NFL and T.O. is there and you got Romo kind of becoming a celebrity and is Wade really on top of things here or is he kind of just everybody's buddy which is great for a dc but not so much for a head coach and with hindsight on both of those guys we have a really good sense to say that during that time though i'm not sure that you would like when wade is the head coach at that moment and when schottenheimer is in that moment as well because you always think well he could still win this year and then this narrative goes out the door i wonder what it will be with zimmer that we look back and sort of the way that we sum him up. Because with Phillips, it was, hey, he's a great defensive coach, but as a head coach, maybe just wasn't the toughest guy, and maybe maybe he needed to be a little harder on those guys, and, and Schottenheimer was the opposite. So I, I know that Zimmer will be painted as a really, really tough guy, but I kind of wonder when we do have that hindsight, when it's kind of all said and done, yep. what one line or what like quick description people will use for Mike Zimmer? I think the word that I would use if we get to talking about Mike's career here and it's finished as coach of the Vikings is timing, bad timing, and that's this. It's hilarious that, or it's sad, Mike was passed up for, what, six jobs before this one? Six head coaching jobs. So wildly successful D.C., uh, before that, I believe, a secondary coach, but a very good coach. And 
And his problem was he, he would get in front of GMs and owners and be brutally honest about things. And they were like, oh, you can't coach in for our team because you're brutally honest. But if you think about this, Matthew, I think if you were to uh, sum up Mike's time here, he is he has been a coach on the precipice and now really in the midst of a full-scale offensive NFL revolution, right? Think about Mike taking back to 1995 and put him in charge of, of a team when quarterbacks weren't the same. With the defensive mind that Mike has, I really think that that, it, in retrospect, we're going to say if, if Mike had come of the right age or gotten a chance to coach, let's say, in the 80s or 90s, that he would have had given the rules of that time. I can grab you back then. I can I can throw you down. And, you know, if you're a receiver, I can hit you as hard as I want and not care about concussions. All of the things that have changed about this league have not been geared, I don't think, towards Mike's benefit. So I really think it's going to come back to if this guy had been able to coach in a different era, he, he would have had a great chance to be wildly successful because there was a time when defensively, if you were that guy, it, it was great. But now, I mean... The poor guy's going to be coaching now at a time where where his prized cornerbacks can make unbelievable plays, and I could throw a challenge flag and get him called for a penalty. Think about that. <laughs> I know. That's think right. About, I mean, that's think, right. About, think about where this league has yeah. gone. And, and that's why I do think that if this year is not successful, the, the thought process or discussion about Mike's future here and possibly firing him is based on can a coach who emphasizes defense like he does – be successful with the way that this league and its rules are geared now. So I, you looked at kind of the 2019 perspective on that of this is what the league has become around a guy who was a genius or who is still a genius defensive mind and has consistently led one of the best defenses. And that makes sense to me on a lot of levels because there's more scoring now, which means more, I, I guess, True results, the better offenses are going to win. That's what's the most important. I mean, it's sort of becoming like any high-scoring sport where if you're better at scoring, you're going to have more success. Hockey is a good example of this. When you have more goals scored in hockey, I think you see the best team at scoring win more often as opposed to the kind of the luck right. factor and the defense yeah, factor. Yeah, like speed now. Speed right. and little yeah. guys can be, yep. be successful. Yeah, that makes well, sense. Well, and the more you open it up, now if they did this in the playoffs, we would really see it in the NHL, but right. they don't. They change the rules no. entirely. And this is why. To get seven-game series all the time, right? That's why every game is 2-1 to one in the playoffs after the first round, and that's why in the regular season you see a lot of 6-4 to four games because they're calling it to give... Uh, offensive teams in the regular season more of a chance to be exciting, and then in the playoffs, they're trying to make sure they get seven-game series, and then you see more upsets all the time in in the uh, in the playoffs, and I think that's part of it. But uh, the, the thing that comes to mind for me for the potential legacy is just whether he will be talked about as somebody who was right there on the cusp many times, like a Schottenheimer, and had something go wrong that really wasn't on him, like your quarterback Teddy Bridgewater goes down, or you're kind of forced to spend this much money on Cousins, or whatever might else happen. Last year, your offensive line, that you were never able to put together quite the team on the offensive side to make it happen. And, and I wonder if we'll say, gosh, you know, he was just a really good coach but couldn't quite get there. And if he does reach a Super Bowl, I don't even think you have to win it. I think you have to get there. And unless you blow a 28-3 to lead, that you get that upper echelon coach status by reaching the Super Bowl, if he 
were to reach the Super Bowl, then we would look at him as a guy who overcame just about more than anyone has ever overcome to get there. So a year like this, when you have a team capable of actually reaching that goal, it really not only rests sort of this season, does he get fired, does he keep his job, but it also rests a lot of the long-term legacy of Mike Zimmer. And I just, I mean, the amount of pressure that is on, not just for him, but the front office, but really the, the legacy for him, how he's remembered as a head coach has a lot to do with this year. And it's sort of unfortunate because there are millions of different factors that go into it, but that's kind of sports and that's how we do it. How do we process the uh, 2017 NFC title game as well? Because that was one where it was a special season. Keenum had played great. Everything had gone right. Everything was perfect. The circumstance. I mean, we all, we all thought, I think, that, that they were going to go into Philadelphia and win that football game. And you not only don't win that game, you get absolutely annihilated, blown out, embarrassed. And it's not, it's not just on case. Your defense, your prized possession played terribly. How ultimately are we going to, to remember that game? And, and how much is that going to potentially reflect on Mike's tenure here? Because that's the game that right now just stands out to me as, oh, my God, you just fell apart. If that game had been 24 to 17, we would never really talk about it. And we would say, well, they reached the NFC Championship game and came up just short. And, you know, maybe Case wasn't quite as good as Nick Foles that day. The way in which they lost that was a black eye for Zimmer. It that's really, what, yeah, that's it, what yeah, I'm saying. But, but it really was. It, that colors how I feel yeah. about this whole thing right no, now. No, absolutely. And absolutely. Because we sat when, there and we we're... looked at each other that entire game like, what the hell is happening? Yep, absolutely. And I, and I think that the way he's thought of, here, if you just went out to the street and talked to 20 people, they would probably say they mostly believe in him and mostly like him. But I guarantee you it wouldn't take more than one or two people talking to him to bring up the NFC Championship game where his defense got run out of the building. And look, I, I went back and, and watched that game a couple of different times, and there's some luck there's incredible execution. There's incredible play design from Philly. There's injuries. Anderson Dejo is playing that game after getting a concussion in the first playoff game and then coming back. And uh, Philadelphia had the perfect solution for the Vikings to, to have their offensive line just be fantastic and slow down the pass rush. And, and everything kind of clicked perfectly. But in terms of what his legacy is, I, I think you're going to have to win one of those games in order to kind of... Yes. Cancel it out in a way. You're going to have to have your defense shut down someone's amazing offense in the playoffs because even in the Miracle game, his defense let Drew Brees come back. Now, it was incredible, but he let him come back, mm -hmm. and that was part of it too, part of the conversation of, well, maybe when they get into the playoffs that it's not going to be quite the same or, or that he's going to have this meltdown. Um, but I, th I think until he gets another shot to be in that moment, whether they win or lose – they're going to have to put together a good defensive performance because that's where he's hung his hat for so long. Um, we'll take a quick break here. We're late to the break. Sorry, Jonathan. So we'll take a break. We'll come back. And I want to discuss a few more things that I have just noticed from the practice field with Judd Zolgad. You are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. X Games Minneapolis returns to U.S. Bank Stadium August 1st through the 4th. Featuring four days of the world's best action sports, music, and festival experience. Don't miss the greatest action sports athletes on the planet and musical performances from Incubus, POS, the Wu-Tang Clan, and more. Tickets and more information at xgames.com slash tickets. 
All right, welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad. Coming up in a few minutes here shortly at 4 o'clock, it will be Mackie and Judd with Rami and lots of baseball talk and trade deadline talk coming your way. So look forward to that here on Score North. Okay, Judd, so we were discussing Mike Zimmer and ripping the players and kind of how he looks like he's in his element. He looks comfortable uh, so far in this training camp. But the players that he focused on were the, quote, young wide receivers and telling them to get their stuff together, get their rear ends in gear. There has been no conversation so far. And whichever way you want to put this, how many days we're in, uh, we've got pads on now. The rookies came. They did their thing. Okay, so we're like all into training camp now. Once pads are on, it's on. It's real. There has been no real discussion of Laquan Treadwell and his status. And he has been practicing since the veterans showed up with the reserves. And yesterday he got a handful of snaps with the first team, but only a couple. We've seen a lot more Chad Beebe, a little bit of Jordan Taylor. I'm not very confident on Jordan Taylor, um, but we've definitely seen a ton of Chad Beebe. We've seen a ton of Irv Smith, who kind of looks to me like he can be the number three wide receiver because he's got quickness, but he's also not massive. He's not like a 270-pound tight end. So they've been running a lot of this, put a fullback in, put two tight ends in. Right. And Treadwell, I guess I think maybe we're done with the, hey, he's going to make it or he's got to do this or he's got to do that because it's just been a very much shrug start to camp for him. So when uh, in, in his press conference on Sunday, when Zimmer talks about the young wide receivers having to get their acts together and run the right route, blah, 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 and he sort of rips them. It's much better, in my opinion, with a guy like Zimmer to be ripped by him than ignored. And, and if I'm not mistaken, Laquan Treadwell's name in that conversation did not come up. And, and the insinuation, I think, about the question was, how are the candidates for your, your third wide receiver behind Diggs and Thielen doing? And he doesn't rip Treadwell. He doesn't mention him. This, to me, and I might be a little bit over the top here, but this, to me, sounds like roster death. Like, you're here, and that's fine. But And it's almost like, too, it's almost as if Zimmer is is giving these young receivers the cautionary story of two guys, Cordero Patterson and mm-hmm. Treadwell, right? Yep. Which is what couldn't they do? They could all catch the football. Mm-hmm. They could. I mean, Treadwell still works to this day, I think, on catching the ball. But who cares if you don't go to the right place, run the right route? So it's almost, it's almost as if all Laquan is now is the cautionary tale. But... Um, if, when I saw that he didn't mention Treadwell in that conversation and talking to you guys, that signifies to me that there's a very good chance that when the 53-man roster comes out, Laquan Treadwell's not here. And, and I look, as you know, just as much as what they do as what they say. We love to read between lines, but when those two things match up, you've got the truth. Yep. And what they do is not put him on first-team reps very often, and what they say is almost nothing about him. They have just ignored the conversation almost altogether. And he really, like, last year looked good with Kirk Cousins and made a lot of plays in training camp, and there was reason. Now, I didn't buy into this, but there was reason to say, okay, well, the guy legit had a good camp, so I could see why John DeFlippo would believe in him. But they're not even giving him an opportunity to have a good camp like they're just putting him out there with sean mannion and with kyle the temptation Slaughter. is now gone right like the temptation I, right. to say look at gary look at how great laquan looks that's gone now so right, it is right, interesting. right so 
Now, the question is, though, if these receivers are struggling and Laquan is just odd man out no matter what, because I don't know what he could do at this point to say, oh, I obviously deserve to be the number three wide receiver. I don't know what he could do out on the practice field when you've seen two full seasons, well, three really, but two full seasons of him actually playing, and he's been one of the least efficient receivers in the NFL, and we saw some of the struggles that were there last year. There would have to be some miracle to happen in order for him to just jump way up the uh, the depth chart. Other people would have to get hurt, or I don't know what, but... Uh, the question that keeps coming up, at least from people on Twitter, when we talk about this receiver battle is, hey, what about you know Michael Crabtree? What about Pierre Garçon? What about these other veteran wide receivers? And this is where I, I don't... I go back and forth because I don't think that this position is going to be a one guy wins that position. I think that they're going to have this rotating, okay, Chad Beebe, you're in on a couple plays, and you get 20 snaps, and maybe Dylan Mitchell, you get 20 snaps, and maybe Jordan Taylor's here, and you get a couple of snaps too, and they use two tight ends most of the time. But then there's the other part of me that says, okay, well, you got about $5 million in cap space right now. You need at least three or so going into the season would it be worth it to see if there's anybody else that last signing because you know this judd every once in a while that last signing guy actually does something not they're not all george ilocas okay every once in a while it's somebody is george playing yet uh, i believe he's in dallas but i don't know if he's gonna play i'm sure they but, bring him back here and yeah. use him like they did last <laughs> yeah, year no i and you know what's sad about George Iloka is he got burned on one play, and it was a trick play that Taysom Hill threw the ball, and he never saw the field again. <laughs> Poor George Iloka. But uh, a great guy, too. Great to talk with. Really smart guy. I could see why Zimmer initially liked him, but, yeah, that, that didn't work out last year. But every once in a while, somebody signs a guy off the trash heap who has made it into training camp without a job, and then he's got 40 catches or something for a team. Even... I would say for Aldrick Robinson, it was not special. Uh, we will not remember the Aldrick Robinson era. He catched football. He gave something, Treadwell though. Treadwell didn't catch football. Right, right. Aldrick Robinson gave you something as a, a late signing. So, I don't know. I mean, should they be looking for those guys to bring in here? I think that uh, the background work that you've done on how Kubiak runs his offense and the lack of a true contribution from the third receiver since he likes two tight end sets a lot, uh, probably speaks volumes, and my honest guess is that uh, Mike has Mike has been in Spielman's office more than once, saying if we have cap room left, which we don't have a ton left, you need to save it for defense and my secondary. That's my guess. That's my honest guess. If this was an offensive coach, I think the answer to your question is absolutely. Let's go get one of those veteran receivers and see how it works out. But if they know that the third receiver is not going to be a huge part of their offense. And you know, Mike, I mean, he's as easy to deduct and f figure out as possibly there is as a football coach, right? I think he's saying, why don't we work out a couple more cornerbacks since my guy Holton Hill screwed me? <laughs> and and you know what? Yeah, you're right. Gary, go find that third receiver here in camp, and it's right. probably not going to be Treadwell because I want to cut him too. Now, another interesting comment by Zimmer was about Chad Beebe and his health because Zimmer was not in the mood to say nice things. Put this in context, though. I love this because he tried to compliment him and then ripped him. I know. And he gave actually a legit good breakdown because he was talking about how he doesn't have to slow down in and out of his routes, which I was looking for in practice. You're like, this is the great thing about covering Zimmer because he'll, at the same press conference, give you analysis that actually helps you understand the game better. Yes. You're like, oh, okay, how about this? And then just rip a guy. <laughs> you know, and just but he like. Can't stay 
And that's what he said, is he's got to stay healthy. He's absolutely right. He didn't ever really stay healthy uh, in college at Northern Illinois, but he has been the guy who has stood out the most from any of the, quote, young wide receivers. Brandon Zilstra has been injured, so you can't make the tub if you're... Wait, you can't make 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 the the club. Can't make the club if you're in the tub. Danny Green, I believe, yes. Okay, so, well, that's a problem right now for Brandon Zilstra. But I do think that the Chad Beebe, and I put in finger quotes, hype is real in terms of him being a legit NFL player. And he only had four catches last year. But when you watch him in one-on-one drills and things like that, he's consistently open. I am not really buying the Jordan Taylor thing because he's just not and. I love, it's one of my favorite things at camp, the one-on-one receiver versus cornerback drills where you start to get a real sense for whether those guys can run the routes or not. And BB is just hard to track. He burned Mackenzie Alexander a couple of times and made some great catches. And if he is healthy, they might have this weapon. But if he's not, Judd, I started to go through this when Zimmer said, well, he's never healthy. And I thought like, okay, wait, so if he isn't, yeah. he is right now. There's no problem presently. But if he does get hurt, like then what are we talking about? Then we're talking about... Was Treadwell kept then by default? Right. I think he would be. I think he would be because... I mean, Mike doesn't want to deal with, with Laquan, so I'm not guaranteeing that he gets cut. It's just quite clear he doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah, right. But that doesn't mean he won't make the roster and then yeah. eventually get cut. But this, the seventh rounders are going to have to go a long way. I mean... There are guys that you see that go out there that make the team and impress you where right away in training camp you say, all right, well, there's something a little bit different here. They like to talk about that with Stephon Diggs. Now, most people don't become Stephon Diggs, but you can usually see, all right, this guy's got like one talent or something that he's doing pretty special, and there are some fast guys, as there always are, who can't really catch the football. That's Alexander Hollins who burned a guy and then just dropped the ball. And, Welcome uh, to the Troy Williamson Club. I, I know, right? Um, and and this is kind of Jeff Baddett too. Like he can't stay healthy, and he can't catch the ball when they throw it to him. But how deep. important is that player? It's not. It's not. So the, Zimmer said about something this. about taking the top off the defense, and I thought, well, you know what takes off the, the top off the defense is guys who could get off the line of scrimmage. Whether you run a four-five or a four-three does not matter super much if you can't get off the line of scrimmage. If you can at four five, you can go deep. If you can't at four three, then you mean nothing. I, I think the the slightly unknown receiver in this camp who's easily the most important, Irv Smith Jr. Right? Like that's the yeah. most important. If, if, if we're if, gonna call him receiver, but he is basically. He looks like one to yeah. me. But I mean, he is he is the key because if he doesn't work, you're just in trouble, flat out in trouble. If he works, you're probably fine. But yeah, I just to. To your point about the thing that you wrote about Kubiak's um, use of the third receiver probably now two months ago or so for us at scorenorth.com, Matthew. I just Free website. Go- free website. Always will be, I hope, at least for now. Anyway, you would just – you would think – that the concern about that is not super high, which is why, you know what, you can probably afford to have guys within the first week of camp screwing up routes and basically complain to them and yell at them, but not be freaked out yourself by it. Right, yeah. No, that's a good point because it's very clear to me that exactly what they told us the offense was going to be is what the offense is going to be. Yes, sir. That they're going to run with two tight ends a lot. C.J. Ham is out there all the time. And even when they run five wide receivers up at the line of scrimmage, nobody in the backfield, 
They'll have a fullback out wide. They'll have the number two tight end out wide. And I could even see because of this, I had on my 53, Tyler Conklin, the number four tight end, making it because he's another mismatched tight end guy that they would want if somebody got hurt, mm-hmm. as opposed to keeping all these wide receivers. So it's now the other question there, Judd, is is that going to work? I mean, I, I there's two ways of approaching this, right? There's if you're Cliff Kingsbury, I get the idea that he's going to have four wide receivers and a tight end and run spread and have a bunch of guys going in a bunch of different directions all the time with four wide receivers, um, you know, going uh, up the field and things like that. That's what he wants to do. The other way to go about it is the McVay or Shanahan type style or the Kubiak style where you've got a couple tight ends. You run the play action all the time. But I've been thinking more and more about this, and I asked Zimmer about it on Sunday. Aren't defenses going to focus on these play actions, and how are they going to react? And that's the one thing that we just can't predict when we talk about what these defenses are, or what this offense is really going to look like and how it's going to perform. I will take your your geeky question and up the geeky. Okay. So here's because here's my question. Cousins at the end of the off season program clearly told us the truth, which is you guys think I know this offense perfectly. I don't, right? Moment of truth. In watching him now in the outside of training camp here, I agree with him. He doesn't. So my question to you then, back at you about this, is the first four games, is this going to be more successful because defenses haven't adjusted to it yet, and then they'll gradually adjust? Or are the Vikings, and especially their quarterback, going to struggle because they haven't adapted yet as well? Like, there's a bunch of questions here. The only the only thing I thought we knew we didn't know, which I assumed for from the day the Kubiak got hired, that this was the Kubiak-Shanahan-Cousins-friendly offense. Okay, it might be to a certain degree, but it's not fully. So are, are we looking at the first month of the season offensively being in the Vikings' favor because defenses don't know what to expect? Or because in training camp or in uh, pre preseason games, you run such vanilla schemes that we're going to uh, see the regular season start against the Falcons and Kirk's going to be trying to feel his way and therefore it's going to be tougher. Right. Um, and, and that's... Now that's a lot of inside geeky football, no, but it, I don't know the answer. It is, but here's where I um, don't really know how to respond exactly because... Sam Bradford shows up here not knowing anything in 2016 and beats the Packers. And then eventually the offensive line falls apart, and also teams kind of figure out that Bradford's going to check it underneath. Even if it's third and ten, he's still going to throw a four-yard pass underneath. And with Case Keenum, the one thing that we did talk about with Case Keenum was after his hot stretch in the middle of the season where he sort of became the, the big thing, we, he beats uh, Washington and has a huge game. I think he throws something like four touchdowns. But teams kind of figured it out. And there were some moments where we went, you know, I don't know. Like Carolina was one of them. Cincinnati was one of them where they just really weren't moving the ball the same way as they were going into the playoffs. And then the offense did okay against New Orleans, started to slow down a little. And, and last year, and then, of course, the no-show in Philly, and last year they come out of the gate blazing hot, I ran this the other night. In the first five games, Kirk had 105 quarterback ratings, one of the best in the league, and then defenses start to figure it out. So I always think that early in the season, because they don't practice as much as they used to and because teams have all the new weapons and wrinkles and everything else that they could put on tape, that you would suspect the offense will come out and look pretty good right away. 
because other teams don't know what they're getting here. Sure. They know what a Kubiak offense is, but they don't know what they're getting yet Absolutely. with this version of the offense. You play Atlanta, whose defense has improved, but they're not like going to blow you away. And then it's going to be kind of the whole adjustment-to-adjustment adjustment game of, of how are they going to bring this along? How are they going to make this unique? And this is where Kevin Stefanski could matter a lot. We've sort of been snarky about him, and that's because they won't answer questions I would never about be Gary Kubiak never and what he does. Um, but I, I think if, you, if you're talking about the one most important thing that Kevin Stefanski has on his plate, Gary is going to be Gary. He's going to bring in the Gary Kubiak offense, and he's going to tell you exactly how it's run and what the assignments and the alignments and the keys and the techniques and all those things are, right? Now, how can you take that as the younger offensive mind who's studying what they're doing these days yep. and say, all right, yeah, but here's what we need to change. Here's what we need to do because defenses have already adjusted that, Mr. Kubiak, right? Right. And that's why the dynamic between those two as the season goes along will be vital to whether they succeed or not. All right. Um, Judd, do you want to hear just like some random players' names that you might not know that could be like on this team this year? Absolutely. Okay, let's do that when we come All back. Right. All right, we'll take a break. It is full camp. There are videos on my Twitter of people popping pads. There's a wide receiver holding a kick. Do you want it? Do you want to make a quick comment about that? Chad Beebe and Adam Thielen holding kicks for uh, Dan Bailey. I am uh, a little bit surprised that a <clears throat> starting wide receiver is holding kicks. Okay, Just I am a little as well. bit surprised. I am as well, and I know that our our friend Sage Rosenfels. Um, he has done quite a bit of that kick holding, and maybe I should have him go through details of how you become a good holder for a kicker. He's got giant mitts, that's how. He's yep. got these humongous hands. Yep. Anyway, uh, so all right, when we come back, we will discuss some players that maybe you haven't heard of who could make a difference on this team that uh, maybe have showed a little bit so far in training camp. That's when we return here. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. This download brought to you by My Pillow. Twins trade for Sergio Romo over the weekend. They've got a two-game division lead, and then the Indians, their division rival, who are just two games behind them. Well, now they have the Astros, Angels, and Rangers up on their schedule. While the Twins, they face off against the mighty Marlins, the Royals, and then they actually have one good team, the Braves, coming up. Um, before Cleveland comes to town. So how big will that division lead be by the time Cleveland gets to town? Well, we'll find out, won't we? Another thing you can find out and join, actually, is uh, join Phil Mackey, Derek Wetmore, Rami Makhlouf, Judd Zelgate, and former Minnesota twin Glenn Perkins for a special recording of the Score North twin show Glenn Perkins on Baseball Tuesday, August 6th, beginning, uh, beginning at 5 p.m. for Modest Brewing Company. In Minneapolis, all attendees will receive one complimentary beer courtesy of Modest Brewing Company with prize giveaways throughout the night. The event is free, but you must but you must register to attend. Register right now at scorenorth.com slash Glenn. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. All right, final segment here of Purple Daily. Matthew Collar along with Judd Zolgad. It'll be Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next. Lots of Twins talk as we approach the deadline. If you missed any of the show, go to wherever you get your podcast, type in Purple Daily, and boom, you have football right in your ears 
every single day here from two to four. Um, and we are enjoying training camp being in full swing. Okay, Judd. So I mentioned that uh, I was going to bring up some players that you might not know much about that have a chance to emerge. Okay. All right. Have you ever heard of Duke Thomas? No. Okay. Duke Thomas has received some second-team reps. He is a cornerback that the Vikings picked up out of the AAF. And when I asked Mike Zimmer about Craig James, who I may have mentioned here on the show before as a guy that they brought back from last year's training camp, I would say that the response was less than a resounding, yes, I can't wait to see more Craig James from Mike Zimmer. He gave a couple of details, but it wasn't like he jumped through the roof with joy that I had brought up his favorite player. Mm-hmm. And with Duke Thomas being a guy who's gotten out there a little bit with Duke the second play? team. In the AAF, do we oh, know? Oh, that's a good question. Now, he was also in, in San Antonio, maybe? A little... He was in preseason with Dallas before. Hold uh-huh. on, I can get this. He... He had also played practice squad with Philly and San Francisco. Ah, where was he with the AF? Okay, San Antonio. That's correct. Yeah, good job. He had, uh, I've got this right in front of me. He had 25 tackles. Mm -hmm. He had one interception. And he had um, three PBUs, Judd. Really? Yeah. All right. San Antonio. That's what Zim loves. Uh, Mike Riley was the coach, and Daryl Johnston was the brilliant GM that brought in Duke Thomas. And I bet you Daryl Johnston and uh, Mike Zimmer are friends from Mike's days coaching in Dallas, and that's the connection. Could be. Um, Deron Smith is another guy that's a safety that they got from San Antonio from the AAF. I haven't really focused on him much, but it stuck out to me that Duke Thomas might be one of those guys that all of a sudden, not a Mr. Mankato necessarily, but when we get to final cuts, you go, oh, oh, him, oh, okay, him, all right, yeah. because of the situation with Holton Hill. Now, luckily for the Vikings, if they decide they want to keep Holton Hill, we'll see. They haven't signed anybody else yet. If they want to keep Holton Hill, then they still have that roster spot for eight games, and then they can decide down the road after sure. his suspension what they want to do with that, and they may give him one more shot. Um, there are a number of defensive ends who I don't know that everyone has heard of uh, and defensive tackles, but the defensive end that is sort of interesting is Adea Runa. Now, I have uh, heard of him. He might be a practice squad guy. He was a draft pick, but he tore his ACL last year, okay. and now he's got a chance to treat this like he's a rookie. And he's a big, giant guy who was like your your raw prospect who had never played football before college and then showed a little bit of skill. But when I look at the defensive ends, Judd, you've got three that I'm certain of. Mm-hmm. And Afadi Adenabo, I'm sort of sure might get a spot there. But could there be room open for another one? Can I ask you a really weird question? Sure. Are you certain beyond a shadow of a doubt 100% that Everson Griffin makes this team? Yes, I'm going to say yes. Okay. I think so. I, I think so too. But I just I need to see more. I would be stunned. I mean, I, they, the, they pulled the plug on people before. They That's have. What's yeah. interesting about it? B Rob last year was a little surprising. Yes, I don't. It was. I don't think any of us had B Rob down as as Terrence going. Basically, being forced into a coaching job was surprising. Yep. Although after watching a couple of the preseason games with Terrence, I think I knew it was over. All right. Here's a guy on the inside that has a chance. Armin Watts, he's another guy who's a draft pick, but you, it's easy to lose track of the late-round draft picks. I think that Armin Watts, who's kind of like a one-year guy in college, 
has a chance to be that nose tackle slash three technique that can move around to different spots. What's the size on Armin Watts? He's okay. This is nonsense. He's listed at six five three hundred. No, he's not. What? He's not. He's gargantuan. He's a huge, huge man. He is not 300 pounds. I have no idea. Why do they bother lying about that? He's not 300 pounds. 340, you think? No way. Uh, Yeah. I'd go go 320 to 340. 320 on a good day, maybe, when he's eating some salad. Um, Yes. Uh, Armin Watts has a a decent chance to make the team. And the guy that I would be concerned about would be Jaleel Johnson, who was a fourth-round pick a couple years ago. Jaleel's a smart guy. I like talking to him, and and he's always seems to be like interested in uh, football and things like that. But he just hasn't really shown a lot. What's not happening there? Because when he got drafted, and we saw him playing preseason games that first year, oh, he's dominant. Yeah, we really liked him. What's ha- what's regressed there? What's not uh, taking the next step there? Yeah. You know? uh, well, you know, I think it might be as simple as just not really establishing what he's good at that they can use him for, like. He hasn't shown that he could just blow through offensive linemen to get back to the passer. He hasn't shown that he can play a nose and and stuff people. And we know this, that when we hear in year two, year three, well, maybe he should be doing this or maybe he should be doing that. That's like the TJ Clemmings theory of, well, maybe he's a guard. Like, Yeah, okay, maybe he's a punter, right? Like we just... After so long of, right. well, maybe he's this, but maybe he's Jaleel that. Jaleel Johnson that first year looked like he had a ton of potential. He, he did. Like, that, that didn't look like a guy who was going to wash out. And it very quickly last year turned from week one of, we're going to play the backup defensive lineman to, oh, hell no. <laughs> like, yes. Right? Steven Weatherly is going to play. I can guarantee you that. But aside from that, I don't think you're seeing a lot of them. All, All right. right. Give me another position where you want a guy because we're up against the clock. Linebacker. Linebacker. Oh, man. Linebacker. I love line. I love talking training camp linebackers. Um, you, you talk about guys that can flash. Training camp linebackers can flash. So I will give you, because um, I don't want to go with the draft pick here, Cameron Smith. I will give you Devontae Downs, who was the late-round draft pick last year. I like the name. And Devontae was hurt last uh, season before, like in, in his college year. Okay. And he came back, and he didn't really show a whole lot, and he played special teams. But he was like the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year or was in line to be the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. And he's like a mildly intriguing guy, as in having a lot of talent, but his injury made him drop in the draft. Now, I haven't been watching him closely, so since you asked about linebacker, I guess I'll have to focus a little more as we go forward. But um, Great competition. Special teams aces right there. Backup linebackers. I did have backup linebacker as one of the least most interesting positions, though, because that is on lockdown. But always, here's what I'm waiting for, and I don't mean this in a I'm the reaper kind of way, uh, but people are going to get dinged. They're going to they're get the little, oh, my ankle. Yeah, have you seen the start today? of training camp so far around the league? Yeah, people get hurt. Some good players get hurt. A.J. Green, right? Got yeah, hurt. Like four to six weeks, I believe. Um, Sterling Shepard. So... Somebody gets somebody gets a little dinged. Yeah. And then who gets that opportunity? So Jalen Holmes is an example. Jalen Holmes got dinged up, wasn't practicing on Sunday. So is it Hercules Mata'afa? Does uh, Jaleel Johnson get his last kind of shot here or Armin Watts or who's going to be able to step in? And, and that's where we'll start to get a better feel. Zim loves Hercules. That's all I know. Seems that way. We'll find out, though. We're going to see. It's because it's a great name. All right. Football talk. That was the most training campy training camp hour we have done. I took your geek and all in. Up the geek. All in. Okay. Baseball talk coming up next. Mackie and Judd with Rami. When we return, you are listening to Score North. 
This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.